everyone, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. We left Abram last week with really quite a victory. I mean, you, you can imagine, you know, 318 trained men was all he needed to come up with this plan. And he, he said, we're going in at night. We'll separate the two groups. And, and, you know, of course, the Lord did it through them, but they had victory. He was able to recapture Lot and all his possessions. And, and you know, he probably went home that night and, oh, what victory. And then I think he got thinking too much. I think he got trying to um, rationalize, hey, you know, how did that, how did we even do that? Now are they going to come and retaliate? We've got nine kings, five and four, fighting against each other. And, and look, we come in and we have victory. And, and the king of Sodom wants to talk to me. And, and maybe, maybe they want to come again after us. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe I better be afraid. You know, I don't know what happened between chapters, you know, uh, 14 and 15. I, I don't know, except human nature tells me that, you know, maybe reality came and struck him. And he is having a tough day. And this is what happens when all of a sudden you lose that belief and you start using your own common reasoning and understanding and you stop acknowledging him, and then all of a sudden you have fear and panic. And, and so, you know, the Lord, again, comes at just the right time. I'm seeing that. I hope you are too. I mean, last week it was with Melchizedek, and the Lord knows when to show up. And he's, I mean, he's always there, but to really manifest himself in a way that is so undeniable. I mean, it says here, after this, after this, in chapter 14, after um, maybe Abram's been laying there in a worried mess, you know, after this, the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. I mean, look how the Lord, this, is, this had to be something, you know. Maybe he's in a restless sleep and he's, you know, he's in that kind of nervous state. And, and the Lord, the word of the Lord came to him just then. And look, look, what the, look what the Lord said. Do not be afraid. I mean, he addressed it. Abram, don't be afraid. I am your shield. See, that's what makes me think he's, he's concerned about retaliation. Because the Lord says, I am your shield. I'm your protection. I'm the one that did it through you. <clears throat> I am your shield. And then he says, I am your great reward. And we'll get into that. But I mean, um, that. I am your shield just took me on a little tangent because I thought, you know, if we would just remember those I am's, 
when Jesus says, I am, that is the way he describes what he can do for you and I. And why do we get in such snits? Why do we get in such states of worry and fear? And I know we, we too have to live by faith. And these two chapters are all about living by faith, not by sight. It's also about God testing us to make sure. It's, it's so easy to say, oh, yeah, I have, I have great faith. Oh, yes, I believe. But then God says, I better test you to make sure that you really do have faith in me, and that you are willing to step out and believe in me, even though it doesn't make sense, or you, you, um, you can't see it. You can't see it. But you, I told you, so you just believe it. So he tests us, every one of us he does. So I went to those uh, New Testament IMs, and I just, I just loved it. I thought if I could just fortify myself with those IMs, there's no way I could ever falter and, and, and crumble in fear and, and panic. And even though the, the whole world state, my, my family, your family, none of us knows what tomorrow's going to bring. But when I have the, the foundation of the I am, I am, Jesus said, I mean, he went through and he said, I am the bread of life. If you if you are if you're needing to feed off something instead of yourself and your nerves and your anxiety, what do you feed on me? I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Look at remember what he said to the Samaritan woman? You drink from from the water. I have, you will never thirst again. I am your bread of life. I am your living water. I am the gate. I am the gate to your to the to the the sheepfold, which means I am the gate that gets you in. You can get into my kingdom, my sheepfold, only because I am letting you in. Salvation is found in none other. He is the open gate for you and I to be saved, to be redeemed, to be bought back. So he says, I am the gate. I, you have a gate. You can get in. These are the terms, but you come through me, but I will gladly let you in. And then, then he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. You stay connected to me. You will have everything you need. We together, you will find you. It's like when you're connected to me, everything just falls into the right place, like bread of life, living water. Everything you need when you're connected to the true vine, we have no excuses because we're that little branch that can either choose to separate from the vine or continue to remain connected to the vine. It's our call, but what a difference it makes whether we're connected or not. And then he says, I am the resurrection and the life. 
by, by, um, by rising from the dead, I gave you life. I am the one that did it because I am the only one that can take eternal death and turn it into eternal life. And he did it when he came out of the grave. I am the resurrection and the life. And then the one we know is, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And, and I have to tell you, Tom and I went to Calvin University's gospel choir concert Sunday afternoon. I'm so glad Tom had a new hip. Because I'm telling you, you couldn't help but, you couldn't help but stand up and praise. And the reason we went is because our grandson, who is as blonde as blonde can be, and, and he's tall and he's, you know, very Holland Christian conservative kind of, but Kelvin offered him some scholarship money if he would be willing to join some music part of some of the fine arts of Kelvin. Well, he thought, here's my chance. You know, this is an easy credit and it's easy money. So what can it, what can it hurt? So he joins the gospel choir. And you, you've got this, this gorgeous black professor who is, who is directing it, who is just all over the place. And his job is to teach, you know, some of these blonde Dutch kids the culture of, of the black society. And it is so wonderful. So we went. It's a fall concert. It, there's Michael. He's standing up there. And I thought, oh, this is going to be good. I got to see what he's going to do. You know, I'm just watching Chad sitting next to us. And all of a sudden, the music starts. And I see our boy singing and swaying. And his mouth is as open, as wide as you can. And they're praising the Lord. These kids I never saw anything like it. And one of the songs, the reason I bring this up, is one of the songs they sang was um, Psalm 23. Believe me, a whole new version than what you and I have ever heard. But it should be sung like that because it tells you, I am the good shepherd. And, and you think about the psalm and you think, he is the shepherd, and in him, what does the psalm say? We lack nothing. And then you get to the end. I mean, you can about imagine by the time we got to the end of that psalm, the way they were singing, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, you know? I mean, it is so wonderful. I think, why, why don't we sing like that more? Why don't we let that kind of positive influence remind us through music or whatever what we have of the I am's and then and then I then he says I am the alpha and the omega <laughs> I mean and and you know he says so many different things I had um you know I am your shield I am your great reward and and I thought you know there's, there's far more, but those are the main ones. But he says to, to Abram, I am your great reward. I mean, do we ever look at him as our great reward? I mean, if it wasn't for him, we'd be still living lost. We would be living in hopelessness. We would be, we would be so um, consumed with the reality that we are going to eternally die forevermore. But 
but look what we have. We're singing blessed assurance. We're, we know that we have an eternal home with him. And, and, uh, you talk about a reward. We live in this reward. And he's trying to get Abram and you and I to see that. That had been when the Lord's word came to Abram and said those that kind of encouragement and that kind of reminder, I will be your protection. I am your reward. No one or nothing can change that. You stay connected to me. We are going to do fine, Abram. Now, what's the first word of verse 2? He just he just was given the greatest news, the greatest encouragement. And he comes back with, but I think, oh God, we do the same thing. We say, oh yeah, Lord, you, you you're, our days are ordained by you and, and um, our faith is in you. And you see how many times you tack on, uh, yeah, but though, yeah, but though, I still... And that's just what Abram did. But Abram said, Oh, sovereign Lord, oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? He kind of he asked that as a question, but it kind of was, I have no one else, so logically... My servant will inherit everything I have. And then he comes back, kind of, you know, he kind of asks that question, but then it's kind of like a, I think it's kind of like a slam. And then, you have given me no children. You have given me no children. Now, remember, God has told him and reassured him about his descendants, remember? As many as the dust of the earth. And, and you know, he, he comes back and he blames God. But you have given me no children. So a servant, my household, will be my heir. I tell you, the, the Lord came right back. It, it didn't take but a second for the Lord to come back because I'm, sh I'm sure he was disappointed in Abram. Like I told you, I just wanted you to believe, and even though it doesn't look likely right now, um, I do what I say. And all you are responsible for is believing what I say. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man... This man, Eliezer, well, he is not going to be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. I don't think you can get any more direct than that. Oh, uh, no, no, you're wrong. It won't be Eliezer. It will come from your own body, like I told you the first time. But the Lord is so gracious, and he's patient, and so he goes over it again. And then he even, can you just picture him? He just kind of takes Abram and takes him outside. I'll prove, I will prove another way to look at this. 
So he takes him outside and he says to him, two words, look up. Look up and, and do you realize, I hope you underline that, I hope you start it, that is our solution when we get overwhelmed and we start to question and we start to doubt and, and it's, our faith is not only wavering but our emotions have taken over it. This, this is what you do. He says, look up. Because really, what are we usually doing? Oh, we're just looking to the left and to the right, and we're looking at ourselves, and we're looking at the, the big picture problem here, and it just looks hopeless and impossible, and get yourself all worked up. And really, the solution is look up. So you can't see yourself. You can't see all what is around you. You look up, and you will start to then realize that when these distractions are taken away, you will start hearing. You will start hearing what you know. You'll start to hear the Holy Spirit remind you. So he says to Abram, he says to him, look up. And then he says, count, count the stars. And then he put, if indeed, if indeed you can count them, I mean, he knows it's an impossible feat. There's so many, you know, and he says, count the stars. And I, again, I couldn't help but, but think of the stars. Abram looked at the star. I love watching Jesus appear in this Old Testament so, so well. And, and I thought in Revelation 22, there's a verse that Jesus says, John, write this down. I am, another I am, I am the bright and morning star. So really, God was saying to, to Abram, look up and see your hope. Us, when we look up, look up and see Jesus, would you? And then he says, try counting, and you can't. And then he, he says, so shall your offspring be. So now it's moved from dust of the earth to, to count the stars. That's how many, that's how many descendants you have. See, by then, now, now in verse 6, I think this is such a fundamental verse. In verse 6, Abram believed. He believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteous. That's, that's the New Testament gospel right there in the Old Testament scripture. <laughs> because what, is G, what does Jesus do for us when we believe, when we believe his terms, when we go to the cross and we, we accept his salvation, we know our sins are covered by his blood, you know, and, and that, that, he says, when you believe that, I think we have to look at that word believe. Now, in your questions, I bet there was a question that you thought, what is she getting at? What do you mean with the three words? What three words is she talking about? 
those three words. I, I, maybe, maybe you didn't have trouble, but it says when the Lord doesn't make sense to you, how do these three words change your perspective? And I think I was, I was thinking, you know, I know what I'm thinking. You're supposed to too, you know, <laughs> when I write these things. But all I was going after was Abraham believed God. And when you put your name in there, that changes everything. And when you put your name in there and you believe God, it is credited to us as righteousness. We are now righteous before God. We, we, we have been made right. That's what righteousness means. We've been made right. And so in that verse 6, believe God. Abram, believe God. And then when you believe his terms and you do it and you're obedient to those terms, you are then credited. That, that phrase is numerous times in the New Testament that, that the writers use that phrase. Believe God and then you're credited as righteous. So, but um, I want to tell you about believe in God versus believe God. Now, in John 3.16, usually we use that verse as the salvation verse, and we introduce Jesus to people with that verse because it explains it so well. God so loved you that he gave his son for you that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the beginning of our belief. We believe in God. We believe he is who he is. We believe his salvation. We believe in that. We believe he does what he says. Yeah, we believe in God. But the thing is, if we don't take it farther, then even the demons believe in God. If you would Satan about that, he would say, oh yeah, you bet I believe in God. I tangled with him a few times. Oh, I know who he is. There's no question who he is. So we can't just say we believe in God. We've got to take it to the next level. I mean, we got to start with believing in God because we have to we have to look at God and say, yep, I, I am going to choose to believe you are the one and only God. I, I choose to believe you are the Savior of the world. But then you have to, and we're going to see it in this, when we end tonight, we're going to see how we've got to take this message, this general, generic message, and then make it personal. And we take our belief to a personal level when we just decide to believe God. I just believe in him. We believe God, and that would warrant new, new transformed life, new way to live your life, a whole new direction and purpose for your life when you just believe God. It definitely takes you to a deeper level in your belief, in your faith. So verse 6, I mean, it's a great verse, and we're plotting, we're thinking, oh, good, Abram, you're back here, back on track. You believe. And that does change you. It does change because now you're just going to, your faith is strong, and, 
when you're walking with God, we've said this about Noah, we've said about, you know, we, we can do the impossible when we believe. They did. I mean, we can even look at our own lives and, and when the Lord asks us to do something, and if we really believe God, we believe that he would never call us to do something he doesn't equip us for. Even though it's so totally against our norm, but we can step out in confidence because we believe God in what he said and he never reneges on that. He also said, God also said to Abram, I am the Lord. And it's like, okay, I'm going to go over this with you again. Because we've gone over the fact that, yes, you're now your descendants are going to be as many as the stars of the sky. Okay, you got that. Now we're going to cover this next one that really takes faith to believe. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. It's like, remember when I told you that? Remember I told you, and I know that look too looks impossible because this, this land, this promised land, is, is full, I mean, just chock full of Canaanites and um, Hittites and Amorites, and it's filled with evil enemies of God. And yet this, this core family here is supposed to waltz in there and just take over the land? No, it doesn't work that way. But God says, I will, I will take care of working it out. You just believe in me. Remember, I told you that this land you will possess. What's the first word of eight? But again... Oh, man, I'll tell you, that's such a killer of faith. I mean, you say you walk by faith. You count how many butches, say. When you say, oh, yes, I believe, and then you say, but, you've just canceled that out. You can't have a walk by faith and a yeah, but in the same, same sentence. You can't. Yeah, look how, look how Abram wavers. Look how you and I waver. We can be so sure, and we, we come out of Bible study, and oh, yes, and then, and then life happens. These chapters are so about life and how we are dealing with life. And, and, and I think we need to recognize, look what we do. We're just like them, just like him. Abram and Sarah were just like them. We could be so sure one minute, but then when something crosses us, then we have, yeah, but, I don't know. Because look at he says, but Abram said, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know? How can I know that I will gain possession? How can I know? You know, I don't have this little, this de this um, decree or this title paper or anything. I have no proof except your word, which should be enough. But we're always questioning and doubting, even though God said it, and that should settle it. But he comes back and says, I know you just said that this land will be my offspring. But, how can I know for sure? 
I mean, that's a real kick in the teeth. I mean, but I think how often don't we do that to the Lord? But the Lord comes back and says to him, okay, bring me a heifer and a goat and a ram, and they have to be three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Now, when I read it, I'm sure when you read it too, I mean, it just sounds that. What is that? That sounds kind of yuck to me. You know, and bring them and then cut them in half and, you know, divide them on one side. I mean, what a bloody, bloody mess that must be. But really, what God was saying, and Abram did it right away. It said Abram brought all these to him. I mean, he did it right away. Why? Because he knew what this was. He knew that, that they didn't do contracts by signing papers and titles. This is what this culture would do. So Abram was well aware. He said, oh, good, we're going to have a contract. This, you, you take a heifer and a goat and a ram three years old, and then you cut them in half and you divide them, and then the two parties will walk through the center, and then that means signed, sealed, delivered. There's your contract. So made sense to Abram, and God is saying, all right, I'm going to prove to you. I'm going to settle this matter once and for all, and he, that's what they did. Now, um, it said the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. I mean, he didn't want anything coming in the way of this contract being sealed, and he could know, now I've got the proof I need. Now, the thing is, he did all the right things, but now he's waiting for, for them both, God and him, to walk through this pathway, but instead, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. See, God had other plans, and he was going to teach Abram another thing about, I'm going to give you this land, but I didn't say it was going to be easy. I didn't say that it was going to be um, comfortable and you were going to be happy all the time and I was, going to, I was just going to solve everything in a day and a half. And No, you're going to learn. You're going to learn what the word wait is all about. My timing is perfect. And I want you to learn that. Again, another stretch of your faith. Because again, don't we want things now? We want it solved now. We want the answer now. So God informs him. He tells them, he says, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not your own, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. So before they possess the land, they're going to be, well, we know, it means Egypt. They were in Egypt 400 years, enslaved and I mean, that doesn't sound quite the plan that, that Abram maybe was thinking. But he says, I'm just telling you that. That's, and, but then I couldn't help but think, too, isn't that such a, a demonstration of life, how God says, 
Um, you are going to possess your promised land. I told you as my child, you will possess the promised land. You're going there. But in the meantime, we've got a sojourn on this life, in this life. And it is, it is saying, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be suffering involved. I'm just warning you, but, but this is what faith is all about. I told you, and I mean what I say, you will get to the promised land. And this is what he says to them, no for certain, no for certain. Look at verse 14. I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. So he says, I just want you to know this. Again, your faith, you've got to believe it without seeing, and it's 400 years you know, sometimes we, we don't like to wait, and, and we certainly don't want to wait 400 years. But God said, no, I have this time down. I know how to deal with those, those evil people. I know how to get the land ready for you. Um, waiting is not a waste of time. It's God's timetable. And God's timing is perfect, and he wants us to learn that when we don't want to wait. He does so many good things in the waiting time. You, however, he says, you, however, Abram, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. So he kind of told him right off, you're not going to see any of this, Abram. But you can know, you can go in peace knowing that I have said and it will happen. See, that's why that word peace, you know, it's such a, it's such a great word because we all want to live in peace. And, and we can. If we really just concentrate on the I am's of our Lord Jesus and we can get through knowing that he has already said, life is not going to be a cakewalk. No, I want you to walk with me. But I'm telling you right now, he says, it's going to be a struggle. And it might look like you're living in the middle of hopelessness and it doesn't look like it could possibly a good be a good ending to this story, but he says, you know there is one. You know. You haven't seen it yet, but this is where your faith comes in. And then, can't help but think of that song, can you? I mean, you get to that last verse of, and Lord haste the day when my faith will be sight. We don't have to live by faith. We will see it. But until then, we have to live by faith. Then it says, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So, see, Tommy? It's timing. I know what I'm doing. And so... In the fourth generation, you're the genera- then the, your descendants will come back here. So it's not second generation, third generation. It's the fourth generation because then I will have it ready. Now, when the sun had set, see, 
Abram has has gone into this. What what does it say? He it, he was in this deep sleep. A thick and dreadful darkness came over him. That had to been something to experience, and then to hear the Lord tell him these facts. So he comes out of that, and then the sun, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, see, so now he, he's out of that deep sleep thing, and then he experiences this. A smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. See, now, now what's happening is exactly what's supposed to happen now. But the thing is, this, this smoking fire pot and this blazing torch, which again is God himself, and, and I couldn't help it, I'm sure maybe you thought of it too, is, is how, how God will show himself in like when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, you know, and then you have the, the pillar of cloud by day, you know, cloud, and then the pillar of fire by night, you know, Moses, the burning bush. But he gets your attention, and here I'm sure Abram's attention was got, even though he's probably trying to come out of that deep sleep, all of a sudden he sees this, this fire pot, this smoking fire pot, and this, and this torch, and he's just standing off to the side with his jaw dropped, watching this. And, and it's like the Lord God goes through the path, and it's almost like he says to Abram, I, I will take care of this, and I really don't need your help because, see, when I make a contract, it's final, and it never fails. I don't want any human nature here. I'm going to do it. I'm going to show you, Abram. And what a visual for Abram to watch God go through that. And that sign contract was, it was, it was perfect. And it was, you know, how, how clear can Abram see it? So in other words, it's going to happen, Abram. This is, this is your proof. This is a done deal. This is settled. You don't have to ask again. It will not fail because I did it. I did it alone because i that's what I do. I can do it. I just need you to now believe it. Believe what I did. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, now he describes, he gives the boundaries of the promised land said, to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of Euphrates. Right now, it's the land of the Kenites, the Kinzanites, the, the Calamanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the, the Raphites, the, Am, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. Right now, all those sites are taken over there. But I want you to know, Abram, you've got a sealed contract that will never fail. This land will be the Jews. This, this land will be yours. And this is the dimension from the 
from the south border of Egypt River all the way to the Euphrates River in the north. This is your territory. I mean, it, it was so perfectly laid out for Abram. I'm thinking, okay, what more? What, what a chapter 15. I mean, what proof of God working when we have doubts and questions, when we have yeah, buts, our God shows up and reassures us of his promises that will never fail. And we're just responsible to listen and obey and believe, not believe in, but believe God. Oh, it's a powerful chapter. And then you have chapter 16, and it again shows human nature. You can be so fortified with God's promises one day, and when, when all of a sudden doubts and questions come, look what can happen. Again, just like with Egypt, when, when um, there was a famine, not one mentioned, God, what should we do? Same thing here, Sarah. Not one time. Well, let's pray about it. I, I can understand. It's been 10 years since God told us that we we're going to be descendants of so many in 10 long years. I mean, that's just, uh, I can feel, I can feel for, I can, I mean, none of us, none of us, you know, could possibly think that anything's going to happen after 10 years, but what God says, wait, don't jump the gun, which is exactly what they do, because, you know, Sarah says this, she, she, I mean, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had born, born him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. You know where she came from, don't you? An Egyptian servant, which, I mean, she was part of the, part of the um, possessions that, that um, Abram got from the Pharaoh trying to get him out of town. So now we have, we have Hagar, the servant of Sarah. And so Sarah concocts a plan. Now it's, now it's her turn to, to think, let's see. And it's been 10 years. I, I'm older now. I, I, my time clock is run out. And so we've got to come up with something. And how often don't we jump ahead and say, let's fix it. This is what I'm going to do. It's not reasonable. God's not coming through. And so I'm going to get this problem solved. We've got to make it happen. I think that's why the Lord makes us wait so long sometime. He's going to prove it to us. So look what she does. She's, she goes to Abram. And look what she says. The Lord has kept me from having children. It's kind of just like what Abram said in the previous chapter. Blaming God for it. Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Boy, there's so much to that. I mean... You know, to, to Sarah's defense, she is a hurting lady. She is broken. She, having no children in this culture was so shaming. You can only imagine what, what women said about her. 
There's no doubt in my mind that she has had a tough life because she was barren. She wanted her arms filled with a baby. Like, you know, I mean, of course she did. She still has empty arms. She is brokenhearted. So she is going to fix it. See, it's when you are broken, when you are so broken, and, and you don't enter God in the equation at all, you don't go to him in your brokenness, and you just think, okay, i got to do something. You don't even think straight. Because when she said that, is she thinking straight? You're telling your husband to go into the other tent? No woman does that. I mean, she is just not thinking. And then Abram's not thinking later. I mean, because I still say, I, I, I still say that when she made that statement, Abram, go next door. I mean, you think, she, she has known what God said in Genesis 2.24. She knew the sacred institution of marriage. She knew all that. She's not thinking. She, she's not thinking because she is telling her husband to go in the next tent. And that's not a doctor's office that's, that's going to use test tubes. So you, you're sending him over there, and you know exactly what's going to happen. And like I said, there's just no woman that, that does that when they're thinking straight. But see, I don't really think she thought that it was going to happen. I really don't. I think that she thought her husband was going to say, was going to stop and say, oh, are you, are you silly? Because I could never do that to you. I could never go next door. I could never do that to you. And, and even more importantly, God didn't say that. See, but God is not in this story at all right now. No one asks. And, and see, what, what gets me is that knowing that, you know, being a woman, I'm thinking this is what I would be. I'm saying it. I'm trying to come up with this, this plan. But I'm saying this to my husband, thinking, but he will never go through with it. He's out the door. Lickety split. No word spoken. No comfort given. He is out the door. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Now, we have learned from our start of this study in September that if we haven't learned this, I'm telling you, I don't know, that sin does never, it never lands you in a good place. In fact, if it, if it isn't checked, it's just going to take you farther. And sin became worse, and the situation became just pitiful. You got, you got the arguing going on. You got, you got tension. You've got, you've got, you know, him over in the other tent. And, and it's just everything about this story is bad. So when, when Hagar became pregnant, and she knew she was, and then she goes to Sarai. And you, saw, you see, because I mean, I've thought about this. People said to me, was this rape, you know? 
you know, back then, I don't think servants really had much to say about it, but, but I don't even think that. I think this was consensual. This is my opinion. Take it or leave it. But I think, man, that was, that was quite, and the way she reacted also gave me a little opinion about the fact that she thought this was a notch in her belt. This was quite an honor to sleep with the head honcho. That's just my opinion. But look at look what she does. She's got the, the self-confidence now to go to her mistress and, and you know, kind of almost like a kid. Nah, 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 nah. I mean, you know, it's just kind of, it, it's I don't know how else to put it, but she is just really kind of rubbing salt in the wound. She is making sure that Sarah feels this, you know. And she began to despise her mistress. Well, there again, look at, look at all what's going on here. So Sarai says to Abram, you know, there's another reason why I think she never intended for Abram to go through with it, because she comes storming out at him. Doesn't say that, but I would be. I become, I'd come strong. Then Abram said, then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the whole thing. You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I think in that little white space, if I could add a few words, and I don't want to add to scripture, but just on a woman's perspective, I think she wanted to say you're responsible for this suffering that I'm going through because I never intended for you to say yes to it. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Oh, what do you think about tension there? You think they're getting along at all? Oh, it just couldn't be worse. But I don't see God in here at all. This is what self looks like. And then I'm, talking, I'm, I'm, I'm saying between verse 5 and 6, I always like to think what's going on in that white space. Because right in that white space there, Abram can make a choice. He has, he has the ability to stop this thing right then and there and come to the plate and be the godly man he's supposed to be by inviting God in the situation and say, I know we blew it. What should we do now? You direct us. You lead us. See, in that space, he could have made that choice. I have so many names. Yesterday morning, I called him a weasel. Uh, I mean, I have to be, be a little nicer, I know, but, but it just, it, in that white space, instead, he made a choice, all right. Look what he did. He says, your servant is in your hands. You do whatever you think is best. Come on, Abram. What happened from verse 6 of chapter 15? What in the world has happened to you? What happened when you stood there with your jaw down, just 
looking at God walk through and making you a deal that will never fail, that you can count on, and you watch that happen before your very eyes. What in the world? So then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. See, it had to be pretty bad. I think it could have been so bad that she feared for her life and maybe her child's life. Because to take off, to where? She takes off. It had to be bad. She was running for her life, she thought. And she fled, and then verse 7 angel of the Lord found Hagar. See, she doesn't know him. She doesn't know the Lord. She has watched. She's watched Abram and Sarah worship this God. But remember, she's, she's pagan from Egypt. Uh, she doesn't know this God. She, she has never been introduced to him. Now, oh, this is why what people see in us is so important. See, she, even as a maidservant to, to Sarai, she was watching their, their worship services or their, what, they, what they would do in, in their belief in God. They had, I'm sure they, they had many things that she saw them do and, and be and acknowledge. An angel of the Lord met her just, I mean, it couldn't have been a more dire situation. She, she really probably thought, you know, this is it. But the angel of the Lord found her near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. Now, why do we have to know that? Details that prove it's a real place. This really happened this is not fiction. This happened. And it happened here in the desert near a spring in the, in the road. The road was called Shore. So if you think this is part of um, fantasy land or if this is just made up, I, I'm proving to you by these detailed facts he said, he said, Hagar, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? So often when the Lord meets us in a dire time, he will put these questions, he will kind of meet us and then say and make us answer. And this is so true. I mean, you you can't help but see that God comes to you, but he doesn't just solve everything like that. He makes you take a look at yourself. He makes you take a look at your life, and he says to Hagar, okay, where are you? Where do you think you're going? I mean, he knows where she came from. He even knows what her thoughts are, where she's heading. He knows all that, but he makes her think about it. Where have you come from? Well, I've come from my mistress. And where are you going? Well, I don't know. Maybe I'm heading toward Egypt, but I don't have any sustenance. I don't have anything. I don't know if I'm going to make it. 
when God meets us, he makes us take a look and, and all I can think of is, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. He wants us to see we can't do it without him. And when we try, this is where we end up. And so in his love and in his grace, he will, he knows just when to show up to maybe confront us at what we, where, what do you think you're doing? You have gone off the path. And if it wasn't for my unconditional love for you and my plan for you, I could just let you go. But instead, instead, he makes her answer and she says, I'm running. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. I'm running away. And I thought, isn't that that scripture too? What do do we learn? Oh, you can run, but you cannot hide. We think running is the answer. We think that's the easy way out. I'll just run away from the problem. No, you 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 can try to you can run, but it's not going to go away. It's something you have to face, you have to deal with. This is I'm sure this was going to be a real surprise to Hagar. He she's not expecting this. I mean, I'm sure the whole idea of the angel of the Lord talking with her and that I'm sure that is a, a real eye opener for her too. I'm sure there's so much going through her mind, but she's answering the questions. But I don't think she was planning on God saying, go back. Go back to your mistress. And she's thinking, oh, my word, this is the end of me. Go back to your mistress and submit her. Go back and submit you know, I thought of that again. I thought this is what that altar, remember we've been talking about the altar. When you go back to the altar, and our altar is the cross. And, you know, for her, and we're going to see it at the end of this chapter, she is meeting God. She's meeting God personally for the first time. And when we, when we have tried to run away, and the Lord calls us, and we have to answer and confront, He's bringing us back to the altar to say, I have to rejoin with you because, you know, we have totally let him out of the picture. And you go back to the cross, the altar, and you, you like, meet with him again. And he is just, again, not saying, well, you've used your quote. I've said this before. He's saying he's got his arms out and he's welcoming us back. He meets us where we're at. And then, of course, we can't help but see how we have veered off and how self got in the way. And so, uh, second step is you confess and you repent. The third step, this is the part here, the third step is you surrender again because you took it back. You put yourself in control and you're submitting, you are surrendering to him again. Another, another verse of I surrender all was humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. That's what he wants from us. So go back to your mistress and submit to her. 
And the angel added, see, he's telling her what to do, but he comes back with a promise. He kind of gives her this promise to be encouraged, like, you know, because she's wondering, what about this baby? What am I going to do? What's going to happen to this baby? And, and, and the Lord says to her, the angel of the Lord says, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. What assurance. Nothing's going to happen to your baby, Hagar. In fact, he's going to become a nation. <laughs> but the Lord comes and says, there's consequences, though. There's definitely consequences, and we are experiencing them yet today because we know that the Ishmaelites have, have transferred into the Arabs, and we know that the, the descendants of Isaac have been the Jews, are the Jews, the way it was intended. But he describes, he says to Hagar, there's going to be something about your boy and um, his descendants. You are now with child, and you will have a son, and you shall name him Ishmael, because the Lord has heard of your misery. So every time she sees Ishmael, she is reminded his name means the Lord saw, and the Lord, and the Lord came just at the right time. Verse 12, though, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. I think that's a portion of it that as a mom, I wouldn't really want to hear. And you, you know that it's true because, you know, I looked it up to make sure that I knew what I was talking about. But, you know, the Palestinians, 83% of the people that live in Palestine are Arabs. And Hamas has come out of that. And they are the terrorists that want to rid this world of Jews. And they want that promised land. So you can see that this, what God says, it continued through, through all of history, and we're even living in it today. But our confidence is that anybody who comes against God's people, the Jews, they will go down. So that's just a given. But yet, how God said, you step ahead of me, and there are severe consequences. I mean, even in a little um, more real, real way, I mean, uh, when Chad and Jody lived in Israel, and Jody taught Palestinian children, I mean, they would, they would bus their kids to Israel to they, they, for the better education. And it was, it was Christian education, but they didn't care. They just knew they would get a better, their kids would have a better education. So she had first grade Palestinian kids. All little Arabs. Absolutely beautiful children. I was there a, few, a few, couple times, and I, I saw in their beautiful brown eyes, there was fire in them. 
you could just see it. They were just, and, and they were so naughty, such naughty kids. And Jody tried her best to keep discipline. They, they, were, they weren't stupid. I mean, they were smart children. They learned. In fact, you know, one of the kids, when they would do alphabet, he always loved it when they got to R, because that means that's rocks, and I love to throw them. That's what he said, first grade. And he loves rocks, because he can throw them at people. And so she would try to keep them disciplined and orderly. But one time, I'll never forget, she, it was, it, they were so naughty that day. And she, she had a little popstick thing that she would do for discipline. And even that didn't even work. And I remember she was turned toward the board, the blackboard, and she would pretend that she was writing on, but I saw her with the other hand wiping her eyes. And then when she got a hold of herself, then she turned around with confidence. I mean, but yet it just, they are, they are tough. They are tough kids. And, and she would say to me, you know, when I was there, she says, now, now watch them when they go out for recess. Just go watch them. And, you know, the minute that it was free time and they were out the door, but as soon as they were out, they were fighting each other and, and wrestling on the ground, and, and that was the way they played. So they were wild donkeys. And that's all they, that's all they know. That's what's ingrained in them. That's, it's, it's from, you know, what God said, but also the way they're trained and the way their parents teach them. And I saw it with my own eyes. Little first graders. Think about what's happening as these first graders now have grown into adults. You wonder how many are serving Hamas. You don't know. Man. Well, it ends so great, doesn't it? It ends so great. It says, she gave this name to the Lord. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. She gave this name to the Lord. She, all of a sudden, she probably is hearing God's instructions, and then she realizes that he sees me. He actually sees me. And then you wonder if she is starting to think, oh, that's what that meant when Abram and Sarah would do this. Or, oh, all of a sudden, all the little pieces maybe were coming together. But most of all, she, she felt God sees me. I mean, for her to say, you are the God, capital G, you are the God, her acknowledgement of who he is, and you see me. I have now seen the one who sees me. Do you hear how many me she said? All of a sudden, this religion that she watched her mistress and master perform, now it is personal and it's real to her. God is real to her. This is what enables her to go back and submit. Because she now has been introduced to the sovereign God who she feels so loved because he found her and sees her. This is why the well was called Lahai Roy, it is still it is still there between Kadesh and Barad. 
So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. And the thing is, I, I looked at it, and I, I kind of figured it out, and I think, oh, Sarah, you got 15 more years to wait. <laughs> he got his teaching. He wants us to just plain trust what he says, and in timing, he'll make us wait because he is determined that we don't jump the gun and reap the consequences. He's just trying to spare us, but most of all, he's trying to transform you and I, that we will start, stop relying on ourselves and dare to trust him. Oh, Heavenly Father, you did it again. You just take these two very familiar kind of lessons that we all know, and yet if we're willing to put our name in there or even our life in there, oh, we all have to admit we're guilty. We are guilty of being like them. It's so hard to wait, and you know that it's hard for us. That's why you make us wait. So, Father, help us to just kind of go over this and, and kind of reiterate and see that this, this passage of Scripture is for our benefit, for us personally, and how personal are we in our relationship with you. It's so easy to have generic knowledge, but that, that is such a picture of Hagar in the realization that you met her and you saw her in her state and in her condition and for her to rejoice and say, the Lord has seen me. He has seen me and it's personal and I don't think Hagar was the same again. Father, may we say the same that we haven't been the same since we really met you personally. And oh, yes, we falter and we, and we fail. And yet you come back and you meet us where we're at and you get us back and, and you credit to us as righteousness again. Father, we want to believe you, not just simply believe in, in you, but we believe you and what you say. And we will truly praise you and give you glory for being all the I am's. That's the way we can go through this life until we get to our promised land. In Jesus' name, who makes it all possible. Amen.